Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. After everything that happened to him, I kept thinking, if I hadn't asked him to do that, would he still be with us? Obviously not a question that I will ever get answered. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fianick, and I'm sitting with Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. How are we feeling today? Feeling good. Feeling great. First day of December, all about it. I know. We're officially in the holiday season, and I am Mm. so, so excited. Um, We're recording in the morning, and I feel like we're more sprightly than usual when we do a morning recording, which I'm loving. I went to bed yeah. at a shockingly early hour last night, considering my normal night owlness. We're nice and rested. Yes. Yeah. I'm not sure about Billy. I played hockey this morning at 730, so I'm good. We have some nice oh. LA traffic in the background right now. I love it. Um, what day is it today, Billy? Well, it's December 1st, and it's National Christmas Lights Day. Ooh. Right. Here for that. My lights are already up, though. My house was the house that everybody went to see. Like My dad really went hardcore on Christmas lights back in the day. So He went um, all out. Yes, so it was. I didn't have a. I didn't have weekends. I had to help him the entire time up until like December fifteenth. So was it like lights all over that we just watched um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? So was it a all over the house type of a vibe? No, it, it wasn't that hardcore. But it was like he created reindeer, and then he built a reindeer that was Rudolph, and then he had Rudolph actually flying off the roof. Like oh. the reindeer were taking off, so yeah, he how creative. Yeah, he did. He did a lot of like the characters um, uh, type of stuff before they were like um, in the, these blowy air things. They were actually like real plastic things. So I love that. It's also a day without art day, which I don't get because there's no sponsor for it or anything. It's not like think figure out what it would be like if there was no art, and then you would appreciate art more. It just sounds very kind of sinister. Oh, somebody day that hates art. art. Yes. Yeah, not all about that. I mean, I feel like art is the um, spirit of life. Of humanity. And it's also Rosa Parks Day because today is the day back in, I believe it was 1955, that she said, no, I'm not giving up my seat on the bus. I'm here for that. Yeah. That should be the main the main day of today, Rosa Parks Day. That's right. All in all, a good day. All right. Well, I think that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. 
During today's case, we're going to examine the concept of insanity and ask the question, is insanity an abstract concept? You see, this is a difficult question because it's not supposed to be. That's because sanity and insanity are not medical or psychological terms. They're actually legal ones. And where the law is supposed to be rigid and explicit, someone's mental state and someone's capacity to commit evil certainly cannot be. The truth is, evil is so nuanced and veiled, and cannot and should not so easily be buried under terms like insane. Today's case takes us back to Thursday, December 6th of 2012. Songs Diamonds by Rihanna and One More Night by Maroon 5 were topping the charts, and movies and theaters were Django Unchained and The Guilt Trip. The setting in today's case is Ada, Oklahoma, which according to the website is a small town with big opportunity. Notable people from Ada include country singer Blake Shelton. Parts of our story also take place in cities surrounding Ada, which include Asher, Stewart, and McAllister. And someone very familiar with all of these Oklahoma cities is our first degree, Gina West. We lived in McAllister, Oklahoma. The we Gina is referring to is her family, who she raised in McAllister. In August of 1994, Gina and her then-husband Marcos welcomed their son, Gennaro Sanchez. When Gennaro was born, he had red hair, just like Gina did. Gina told me a story where she remembers that there was a TV on and the music video for Black Hole Sun by Soundgarden was playing in the hospital room when Gennaro was born. And it's a story that he would always want to hear as he grew up. And it became a favorite song of both of theirs. He was a good baby. He was a lazy baby, but he was a good baby. He definitely was a mama's boy, which I didn't mind at all. Gina and Gennaro's father, Marcos, eventually split up and found new partners, but they remained friends as they raised Gennaro together. Also in the mix was an extended blended family, stepbrothers and sisters on either side. Gennaro, or G, as Gina sometimes lovingly refers to him, attended high school in Stewart, Oklahoma. And by the time he was a graduating senior, his interests revolved around the kinds of things that many young men his age do. Reading, playing video games, watching TV, socializing with friends, and going to the movies and lifting weights. And another thing he was interested in, he was very excited to start looking at college campuses. Gennaro was college-bound, and he chose East Central University, also known as ECU, a college located in Ada, Oklahoma. And he decided that he wanted to study civil engineering, hoping a degree in that field would be his one-way ticket out of small-town Oklahoma. At the end of his junior year and the beginning of his senior year, we started filling out, you know, for all of uh, the schools that he wanted to go to. And he had three, three or four scholarship offers for different colleges around Oklahoma. And I asked him to go to ECU in Ada because it was the closest one home. And him being my baby, I did not want him too far away from me. After everything that happened to him, that really put a lot of guilt on me because I kept thinking, if I hadn't have asked him to do that, would he still be with us? You know, and that's obviously not a question that I will ever get answered. The day Gennaro moved into his college dorm is seared into Gina's memory. Gennaro was excited to live on his own for the first time in his life. 
and Gina was having the anxiety that any parent is likely to have in sending their baby off to college. The day before we took him to college and, you know, set him up in his dorm room, I started questioning everything. I I called his dad up. I was like, did we teach him everything that we needed to teach him before he went out to college? And he was like, I don't know. You you tell me. You're his mother. I'm like, yes, yes, I am. I was like, but does he realize that it's okay to make mistakes? That it's okay to ask for help and that if he needs to, he can always come home? He was like, well, I don't know if we told him that or not. He goes, go talk to him, you know. And so I did. He's like, yeah, Mom, I know. It's okay. It's all good. I know. He goes, but it's okay. He goes, it's me. I got this. I'm like, well, okay. Gina's feelings were, of course, normal. How are we ever to know whether we prepared our kids well enough for the outside world? You can't be. It was very hard packing him up and taking him to school. and But I rode with him, you know, in his truck and we uh, chatted and laughed and, you know, made fun of each other. So it was it was a nice ride up there. Even though it was pouring down rain by the time that we got there and started unpacking everything, putting it up three flights of stairs, and then going and getting all of his books. Yeah, we were all drowned, drowned rats by the end of the day. Gennaro settled into his dorm campus life and started to make friends quickly. He was also stoked to be so close to home and he'd visit his family often. He breezed through the fall spent Thanksgiving holiday with his family, and then went back to campus. Gina recalls talking to her son days later on December 5th when he called her cell. In typical college student fashion, Gennaro was asking his mom for cash to pay for some essentials. I was like, but I'm here at the bank. Just shoot me all your information, and I'm going to deposit money into your account. He's like, oh, well, okay. He goes, well, I'm going to let you go. He goes, I'll see you this weekend. And I was like, okay, baby. I said, I love you. He goes, I love you too. And we hang up. And that was the last conversation I ever had with my son. From Gina's perspective, the day continued normally. The following morning, when she got to work, as she always does, her phone pinged with a text message. I get a text message from my next door neighbor. And she's like, hey, Hughes County. Sheriff's Department is trying to get a hold of you. Something's going on with Gennaro. You need to call them. Receiving a text like this is every parent's worst nightmare. So I call Hughes County Sheriff's Department, and they, they're like, well, Mrs. West, I'm sorry. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but your son was murdered, and he was an innocent bystander. You know, he was innocent in it. And I was just like, hmm. Nah, it's true lying. I said, he's at school. As far as Gina is concerned, these people have made a huge mistake. No, Gennaro couldn't have been murdered. He was at school. It's like, no, ma'am, I'm sorry, but he's not. And he said, you need to get a hold of the Pontotoc County Sheriff's Department. So I said, okay. So while I'm trying to do that, I'm tell my husband, I'm like, um, I need you to call Gennaro. I said, and you keep calling him and you keep calling him. I was like, because they just now told me that he's dead, that he had been murdered. And he was like, what? You know, I was like, yes. Yeah. I said, so please start calling 
Gina's husband, Bill, starts frantically calling, hoping that Gennaro would answer, proving that this was, in fact, just some huge misunderstanding. He starts calling them, and there's no answer, no answer, no answer. So I was like, we've got to go. And so I'm on the phone with the sheriff's office in Pontotoc County, which is the county that the college is in. And he's like... Yes, ma'am, I'm sorry. I hate to be the one to tell you that your son was murdered and he was innocent in any and all wrongdoing. And it's at that point that Gina's world comes caving in. How does a parent even begin to process news like this? I started screaming and I did that for about 45 minutes to an hour until we got there. Gina was in shock, hyperventilating, while grappling with the most horrific news she could have ever imagined. Her sweet-natured, innocent son, Gennaro, had been murdered by another student. Gina struggled to breathe and struggled to understand the how, the why, and of course, the who. These were questions Gina demanded answers to. And they were telling me a little bit about what had happened, and I just looked at him, and I was like, was this boy wearing a suit? Did he have on a hat? Was, did he have a trench coat? Did he have a walking stick? And they just kind of looked at each other, and they then they turned, both turned and looked at me, and they were like, how did you know this? And they were just blown away that I already knew who had murdered my son. What happened to Gennaro? Why was he killed? Who killed him? And how did Gina already know who was responsible? To answer all of these questions and more, we got to go back to nearly two months prior. Gennaro was a mild-mannered 18-year-old and stayed out of trouble. So his mom was troubled to hear that her son had witnessed a fight that had taken place at the dorms on October 3rd, nearly two months before Gina had received the horrifying news of her son's death. Gennaro wasn't directly involved in this altercation, but he had witnessed a violent interaction between two students who lived in the same building as he did at the university's Pasage Hall. The students' names were Jared Murray and Wyatt Freeman. Wyatt was a friend of Gennaro's, but Gennaro didn't really know Jared. They were only acquainted through Wyatt. And here's what happened. Gennaro was at a friend's dorm room playing Mario Kart with some other students. As they played video games, Jared Murray and Wyatt Freeman were in relatively close proximity to them. So it was like a group of them in this dorm room. Jared and Wyatt were talking about martial arts and somehow got onto the subject of tapping out. So for those of you who don't know, this term tapping out is used to describe what happens in wrestling or in a UFC match or a fight. You tap out to let your opponent and the referee know that you're done, you fold, you forfeit the fight, your opponent wins. So Jared began talking about his proficiency in martial arts and claimed that he wouldn't tap out if he were faced with a life or death situation. And here's a statement that Wyatt made in this report. He said, quote, he, Jared, said that he would rather die than tap out if he was in a fight. So I said, okay, let's see how committed you are to your martial art. So Jared agreed to allow Wyatt to place him in a chokehold. And this resulted in him temporarily passing out, losing consciousness and hitting the floor. The report also made reference to Jared convulsing on the ground to some degree. After he got up and regained consciousness, the scuffle continued. Jared was probably pissed 
and his ego was probably bruised. In response, Jared then punched Wyatt in the temple and followed up by spitting on him. The fight got so intense that the campus police were called in. And due to the fact that Gennaro witnessed this fight, when the police were called, he signed a statement which seems to back up Wyatt's version of events. In Wyatt's statement, he admits to being afraid of Jared because he threatened to get him back for this chokehold incident. Here's an exact quote from the report. Wyatt wants Jared Murray moved out of the dorm, or at least away from his room, because he's concerned that Murray may try to blow him up. It made reference to Murray having the anarchist manual in his room. So Wyatt and the other students, including Gennaro, provided statements that supported Wyatt's side of the story. And both boys wound up being placed on disciplinary probation, and there were no further incidents between the two students. But Wyatt said he was left with this uneasy feeling about Jared from that point on. He was very afraid of him, afraid he would seek revenge when he least expected it. So all of this sounds really intense, and Gina felt the same way after Gennaro told her all about this. And it was during this conversation that she first heard Jared's name. He, you know, had come home and he had told us about the fight and about how he felt about Jared. And he was just like, Mom, he's smart. He's crazy smart. You know, he's the type of person that he would just wait and get you when you least expected it. And so I was like, well, you know, just stay away from him. He goes, well, yeah, that was my intention because I don't, you know, want to really have anything to do with him. He goes, you know, he's kind of, he's scary. He's strange. He walks around in a trench coat, a, a suit, a trench coat, a walking stick, and a fedora hat. He goes, Why would I want to be, you know, around that? Jared Murray had a reputation around campus. And as Gina described a few minutes ago, he wore a black suit, a fedora. He brought a walking stick with him everywhere he went. He was described as, quote, feared on campus in much of this reporting. And according to those who knew Jared in high school, he had always been like this. He always wore a suit all the time before attending college as well. And everything about this guy sounded like bad news. And Gina gave her son some sage wisdom. She said, stay away from him. Jared and Gennaro lived down the hall from one another and only shared a mutual acquaintance. So it should be easy enough to steer clear of him, right? While red flags were raised for Gina when she first heard about the fight, she didn't spend much more time thinking about the strange student her son had described. But that all changed on December 6th when she learned that Jared was the one who had actually killed her son. So here's a summary of the events that transpired as revealed by the investigation. In the early morning hours of December 6th, the Potawatomi County Sheriff's Department received an alarming 911 call from a man. This man said that a friend of his son's had shown up at their house out of the blue and claimed to have killed someone. He walked to his friend's house, and his friend was his dorm mate, his roommate at the college. And so he went to his family's house, and his dad was the only one that was up. And so he admitted to his friend's dad that he killed somebody and was talking about what he had done and then asked how he, what he could do to get his fingerprints off of the the vehicle. Well, now, his 
friend's dad said, well, WD-40. WD-40 works for everything. He's like, well, do you know where I could get a can of WD-40? And he goes, yeah, I've got one right here on the front porch. I'll get it for you. Now, we don't have context, but the hope is that the friend's dad assumed Jared was joking, or he believed him, and perhaps was scared of what he might do next. It's hard to tell. At this time, the man did not know whether or not Jared was serious or not. And if he was, then all he knew was that he had a murderer in his house and his family were asleep. So he was doing what he could at the time to get Jared out of his house. And so, you know, they were making small talk and Jared says, well, I can show you where it's at. He's like, just give me a ride on back. Obviously, I've come to understand why he did what he did. It's just been a very slow roller coaster ride. And a lot of times I feel like I'm, you know, on those loops, you know, like the shockwave at Six Flags, and then I'm hanging upside down, wondering when I'm either going to fall out or it's going to get going again. So the friend's dad now has Jared in his car with him. So Jared can show him what he's done. Jared gets into this man's vehicle and they head back. And then I guess Jared decided that that wasn't really what he needed to do. So he just asked the man to stop and that he would walk the rest of the way. So he did. Jared gets out of the car and unsurprisingly, the man immediately calls the cops. Well, during that time, the man called 911 and told them, He's like, look, I don't know how accurate it is. He said, but he goes, somebody just told me that they had committed murder on Substation Road. And, you know, you need to go and have that checked out. Cops are dispatched to this area and they're on the lookout for two things. Number one, a possible crime scene. And number two, Jared Murray, the suspect, an 18-year-old dressed in a suit. And while, of course, the hopes are that Jared's admission of committing this murder was a delusion or a lie or a figment of his imagination, it all turned out to be true. Officers responding to the call discovered Gennaro near his truck off the side of a road in Asher, Oklahoma. He suffered two gunshot injuries. With word spreading that a murder had in fact been committed, additional officers rushed to the scene. Travis Palmer was one such officer, and at around 2.30, as he made his way to the location, he spotted a man who matched the description of Jared Murray. And when Jared was confronted by law enforcement, he freely admitted that he had in fact killed Gennaro Sanchez, inferring that he'd kill someone simply because he wanted to know what it felt like. Jared was arrested and taken into custody. And we're looking at pictures of Jared from the police interview. You know, he's wearing a, a suit. It's kind of ill-fitting suit, and he's got, um, looks to be long hair. He literally looks like a little kid wearing his dad's oversized suit. Yeah. Yeah, and his hair looks very unkempt. Greasy. I can't tell if that's a beard or a shadow. He's got this weird, like, under-neck beard thing, and just stringy hair, and a really cold, cold, dead look in his eyes. He really is ice-cold looking. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jared now is sitting in an interview room, and here's how his interrogation began. Well, it's hard to call it an interrogation. His confession. You told me uh, you was a guy that I was trying to find. Yes, sir. Okay. And then I read your rights to you. Yes, sir. And then rights was you had the right to remain silent. Then I had the right, sir. Okay. Anything you say, Ken, we'll be you in court. Yes, sir. 
Jared spoke freely and coldly about what he'd done as he sat across the table from the officers in the police interview room. He said he'd been planning to murder someone for about three weeks and decided Gennaro Sanchez was going to be the victim only a few days prior. Once he decided it would be Gennaro, he had to come up with a ruse. So Jared knocked on the door to Gennaro's dorm room. And when Gennaro answered, Jared asked him if he would drive him to the nearby Walmart in exchange for $20 for gas money. So remember, Gennaro had witnessed this fight between Jared and their friend Wyatt. And he told Gina he wanted nothing to do with him. But Gennaro was a really nice kid. And if Jared wanted to get along and be cool with Gennaro, then he was up for that. He didn't want any enemies in this guy. My son was afraid of Jared. But when he came up to him and said, hey, you know what? I got 20 bucks. Do you mind giving me a ride to Walmart? My son's first thought was, okay, this is an olive branch. He's going to let bygones be bygones, and we're going to just start anew, and I'm going to try to be this boy's friend. The two college students head down to Gennaro's pickup. Jared gets in on the passenger side. And Gennaro heads to Walmart. All seems fine. That is until Gennaro pulled into the parking lot. And then when they get to Walmart, that's when he pulls the gun on him and says, you realize what I'm going to do? And he's like, uh, yeah. At gunpoint, Jared forces Gennaro to drive north of Asher, Oklahoma. Uh, about from Ada to halfway to Asher, it was just my trying to reaffirm him that I wasn't going to kill him to calm his nerves. And then from that point on, we was talking on our upbringings, our uh, past, our family histories, uh, things of more philosophical nature, et cetera, et cetera. And just was begging for his life for that 45-minute drive. Gennaro was panicked. He was terrified. So to keep Gennaro calm, Jared began taking bullets out of the gun's chamber. He completely unloaded the clip and the bullet from the gun and handed them to Gennaro as he drove, just to give him some assurance. He was giving him bullet after bullet after bullet to try to calm him down. If Gennaro was at all relieved that Jared emptied his gun and gave him the bullets, that relief was short-lived. Uh, he panicked, uh, went to pull out his phone. I yanked the phone out of his hand, and then he panicked some more, kept telling me not to kill him. To make him feel more comfortable, I unloaded the clip, unloaded the bullet from the chamber, handed them over to him, and that eased his nerves a little. Then I pulled a second clip out of my pocket and set it on my lap. I'm a hothead, and it was all that, all that I could do to sit there and listen to the interrogation video. It was hard to hear him talk about my son like he was nothing. This is chilling. They drove 29 miles like this, and then Jared instructed Gennaro to pull onto a small country dirt road. Then, Jared fired a shot at Gennaro. It missed and shattered the window. Jared fired again, this time striking Gennaro in the temple, which caused Gennaro's pickup to roll to a stop in a ditch against a tree. Jared got out of the car, pulled Gennaro from the vehicle, and he thought he could still hear him breathing, so he shot him again. Jared then pushed Gennaro down into the ditch and covered his body with leaves, dirt, and a single stick. Hearing this is so awful and it's so senseless, which begs the question, why? Why would Jared want to harm an innocent kid that he hardly knew? We're not going to play any more of Jared's interview because it's sickening, frankly, but there were some additional particularly cold admissions that he made. Jared said that he actually tried to carry out this murder two days prior, 
But when he knocked on Gennaro's dorm room, there was no answer. He wasn't there. And when asked why he chose Gennaro specifically, Jared suggested that because it didn't seem like Gennaro had a ton of friends, he thought no one would come looking for him right away, which appealed to Jared, who wanted to get away with this. So he really thought about the best ways to get away with this. It really demonstrates some some pre-planning here. Absolutely. Now, there's definitely, in this confession, there's premeditation. And we also have to look at the fact that after killing Gennaro, he went to a friend's house and got WD-40 because he wanted to get rid of fingerprints on Gennaro's truck. He also claimed to choose Gennaro to buy himself more time, presumably to get away with this. It all seems extremely calculating, deliberate, evil, first degree. As Jared Murray was being booked and charged with first degree murder, Gina and her ex-husband Marcos were being notified with the unthinkable loss of their son. After that, his dad went to Oklahoma City to to make sure that it was actually our son that was murdered. And so they took a picture of our son and took it to the the door and showed Gennaro's dad that it was definitely him. And things just kind of spiraled out of control there for a while because at that time, my whole month of December of that year of 2012 is just gone. At this point, Gina and her husband were at the sheriff's department. They were speaking to the officers who were handling Gennaro's case. And the county's courthouse was connected to the sheriff's department. And this meant that it was all under the same roof, which meant that this was likely where Jared had been interviewed and was being held as well. And Gina was hysterically crying when her ex-husband Marcos and his new girlfriend arrived. And for context, they all got along and were friends. And during that time, Gennaro's dad shows up to the courthouse, you know, to the sheriff's office. And his girlfriend at the time went to the bathroom with me and she was sitting there with me, you know, talking to me and trying to get me to calm down. During this time, Jared Murray's mother was in the bathroom sobbing and I had no idea that that was Jared's mother at the time when I tried to console her and telling her that it was okay that whatever was wrong would be all right and she never said anything to me she just looked at me and walked out it was the first hearing that they had that I realized who I had been talking to in that bathroom. Not once did she ever say, I'm sorry. Not once did she ever say, what can I do? Not once did she offer anything. And it was from that point on that I could knew what type of family that they were. I knew what type of family that they were in my heart. Jared Murray had plotted the murder of a fellow student. He'd made a plan. He'd followed through with it. And he'd tried to cover up certain elements of his crime. Then he'd gotten caught and confessed. He essentially handed the case against him to law enforcement on a silver platter. Certainly, he'd be found guilty of first-degree murder and go away for life, wouldn't he? Well, unfortunately, it would not be that simple. And Gina would ultimately find herself fighting an ongoing uphill battle in an effort to get justice for her son, Gennaro. 
So if you're a super busy person and you don't have time to go to the gym, or maybe you just don't even want to go to the gym and work out in front of a bunch of different people, you need to check out the Aloe Moves app. I'm obsessed with this app. So it makes it easy to keep your wellness routine on track because they have everything in one place. There's yoga, there's Pilates, fitness classes, mindfulness, self-care tips, healthy recipes, and so much more. So either you're a beginner or you're an advanced person, Aloe Moves has the flow or class that will fit your schedule. Their classes range from five minutes to an hour, depending depending on what you're feeling that day. So even if you only have five minutes, you can just get some movement in. I used Aloe Moves all during the pandemic. It was amazing. Like I was on my yoga journey and I was obsessed with it. So you can find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and journaling for those quiet moments, even if you don't really want to get a workout on. And when it comes to sleep, it's just important as fitness and nutrition, and they've got you covered with Aloe Moves. So unlock your personal wellness routine with Aloe Moves. Go to Aloe Moves com and use code FIRST for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's allomoves.com, code FIRST, A-L-O-M-O-V-E-S.com, code FIRST. Everybody loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. So it's going to take you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. I'm really feeling this because Lex and I both are really like into Gatsby stuff right now. So I am loving the vibe of this game. And you're going to step into the role as June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. It's perfect for all of the firsties out there. There's mystery, danger, and romance as you search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. And you can customize your very own luxuries a state island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Okay, so listen, we are busy ladies over here on the first degree. And when I have a moment of free time, I don't want to spend it grocery shopping. I want to spend it rotting on the couch and watching reality TV. And that is why I love Thrive Market. So Thrive Market is a go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. And the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to my doorstop is such a huge time saver. So Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They actually restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So you can go on their website and use their filters to suit any of your lifestyle needs. If you're allergic to a certain ingredient, if you just don't want to have it in your life, that's why Thrive Market is so awesome. So whether you're looking for organic snacks for your kids or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. I love this so much because I don't want to read every ingredient when I go to the grocery store. It's so easy to do it online, honestly, when I'm rotting on the couch. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com first for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com first. Thrivemarket.com first. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, or cleanup needed. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. 
Get started today and get after your goals. Plus, Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. For me, I was really struggling to get enough protein. I always do. But Factor's meals are protein-packed, and they're so good. And it's so easy when I'm slammed busy working in the middle of the day to just have lunch right there, not needing to do anything, except heat it up. Head to factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 and use code DEGREE50 to get 50% off. That's code DEGREE50 at factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 to get 50% off. Jared Murray had killed Gennaro Sanchez. He'd been arrested and made a chilling confession. Gina and the rest of Gennaro's loved ones were grieving immensely and further daunted by having to plan a service to honor Gennaro and say goodbye. The community rallied behind them, and hundreds of people attended the funeral to say goodbye and celebrate Gennaro's life. At the funeral, Gina played Soundgarden's song, Black Hole Sun, the song she'd brought him into the world with, the song that had always bonded them together. Meanwhile, the prosecutorial proceedings against Jared were slowly beginning. Gina swore to never miss a hearing or court appearance. Every court proceeding that we had. If Jared was there, I was there because I wanted him to know that my son was loved. He would not be forgotten and that he was always going to see my face when he was in court. Obviously, he was denied bail. Jared would be behind bars as he awaited trial, which would take a whopping six years. And it's unclear why it took this long, but it did. What we do know is that within that time, Jared had cycled through several court-appointed attorneys. And along the way, Gina started to pick up on the fact that Jared was going to try to use an insanity defense in an attempt to sidestep taking accountability for her son's murder. The prospect of Jared getting away with this by way of insanity plea absolutely horrified her, rightfully so. So she tried to be as proactive as she could. I feel like they knew that he was going to try to use the insanity plea to get out of the murder charge. And so when I was at work, you know, during my slow times, I was always on the computer going over cases and finding statistics and uh, and statues and, you know, all this other kind of stuff, trying to figure out what could possibly be our next step, what could possibly be Jared's next step. That was always in my, in my mind. If I was Jared, what would I do? And so I started already looking through stuff for the insanity plea. You know, how often that it occurred, how many people actually were found not guilty by reason of insanity, what other options that he could have done, whether it had been throwing himself on the mercy of the court and letting the judge you know, decide his fate. I would make appointments to go see the DA. And I would tell him about my fears and I would show him the paperwork that I had found. And his thing kept saying, don't put the cart before the horse. Don't worry about it. Let me do my job. Quit borrowing trouble. You've got to have faith in me. And I was like, well, okay, whatever. Gina listened to the district attorney and tried to have faith as the wheels of justice slowly turned. Time continued to pass, until one day, the DA called Gina in for yet another meeting. It turns out, there would be no trial for Jared. 
Jared was going to be found not guilty for the first-degree murder of Gennaro by reason of insanity. Needless to say, Gina did not respond well to the news. So he comes in and, and he's like, well, his expert and our expert both said the same thing. I said, what's that? They said that he was insane at the time. And I lost it again. And I told him, I was like, no. I said, that's bull crap. I said, you and I both know that that's not true. I said, you didn't listen to me. I said, now, I said, the person that premeditated the murder of my son is going to get away scot-free. He's like, no, no, he's not going to get away scot-free. I said, yes, he will. He goes, no, he won't. I said, is he going to be convicted of premeditated murder? He said, no. I said, then he's going to be freaking getting away scot-free. And he goes, no, he's going to go to a mental facility. The judge in the case ultimately found that Jared was not guilty by reason of insanity after learning both a defense expert and a prosecution expert agreed that the killer did not know right from wrong at the time of the shooting. And this is what it said. The psychologist hired by the prosecution concluded that Jared suffers from a severe mental illness, either a bipolar disorder or a schizoaffective disorder bipolar type, that he exhibits extensive grandiose and delusional beliefs. Although he knew that it was illegal and he haphazardly tried to evade authorities, he conveyed that he came to believe that it was required that he must kill someone. And it's worth noting, too, that the judge, when he had to hand down this ruling, he looked at Gina and he said, I really empathize with you, but there is no alternative for me here. You know, I think Mm -hmm. the law sometimes determine judges' rulings for better or for worse. And the judge didn't necessarily agree with his own ruling, but legally he had no other choice. There was evidence of premeditation. It's just that because he said that he was God and that he heard voices, that that threw him over being insane. Because who else in their right mind would say that they were God and that they had the right to pick and choose who lived and who died? It obviously had to be somebody that was insane. Come to find out, that while he was in the county jail, that he would brag about how he killed Gennaro, the lengths that he went to to do it. And he had also made the comment that when he was released, not if, but when he was released, that he was going to kill the DA as well as myself. He did know the difference between right and wrong. He just didn't think it applied to him. So to be super clear, no one involved with this case was happy with the outcome. And this included the DA, Richard Smotherman. But unfortunately, this was the only possible outcome because at the time in Oklahoma, the option of finding a defendant guilty but insane had not yet been written into the law. The DA also believed that judges should be allowed to order treatment for the same amount of time that a sane defendant would spend in prison for the same crime. And because in this case with Jared, he could be let go at any moment that his doctors believe he is no longer a threat to the public, which is absolutely fucking terrifying. And after the heartbreaking ruling that devastated Gina, as well as all of Gennaro's loved ones, Gina and DA Richard Smotherman committed themselves to change these laws so no one else in Oklahoma would have to experience what Gina's family had. And believe it or not, as crushing as this outcome was, that her son's killer would be found not guilty by reason of insanity, 
Gina's battle was far from over. And this is like the most mind-blowing part of this entire story to me and really shakes me to my core. Only 34 days after Jared was first sent to the mental facility, one of Jared's psychiatrists who was treating him at the facility wrote in an evaluation that Jared, quote, does not presently meet the statutory criteria as being presently mentally ill. While his index offense was of a violent nature, given that his mental condition is stable, he's not considered to be a present danger to the public. So somebody does something this heinous and awful, they're immediately sent to a mental institution and almost a month later, just over a month later, they're saying he's not mentally ill. So it's like, then why was he found not innocent by reason of insanity? Because how this works is like, okay, he's in this mental institution indefinitely until his doctors can give an update to the judge. Oh, he's not a danger, you know, and they can decide to let him out. This is one month in and they're already doing that. And it's just like Gina's theory is that Jared is so smart. He started manipulating his caretakers immediately trying to convince them, but it it worked. It worked. Mm -hmm. It worked. It's terrifying. Shouldn't the caretakers be a little bit more well-versed in personality types like that? Like it obviously seemed that he manipulated his way into an insanity plea anyways in the first place. And now he's like, well, I got that. Now I want to get myself out of it. Like that seems too obvious. It's nuts. He wasn't even in there a month a month when he had convinced and befriended one of his counselors that he was perfectly fine, that he was miraculously cured, and that he should be let out, and they were going to let him go. This was stunning and terrifying. Everyone was furious. The DA was up in arms. It meant that there was a chance that Jared could be let out just 34 days after checking in. A hearing on the matter was scheduled in which Jared took the stand. They get Jared on the stand, and Jared tells them that as long as he's in a facility, he'll take his medication. But if he's out, he couldn't guarantee that he wouldn't take them, you know, that he would stop taking them. And that the only time that he would take them again is that when he killed somebody else. Not if. When The judge ordered examinations by more mental health professionals for additional information and ordered Jared Murray to remain in the facility. Jared remains in this facility to this day, but it weighs heavily on Gina that there's always that possibility that he could be let out. And if he ever is let out, Jared has a clean record because he was found not guilty. Like, that's the craziest part. It's not like there's no caveat. There's no record. If he, if he is to be let out, there will, there will be no record of this anywhere. You know, there'll be this news coverage, but like he could essentially, he's not a felon. You know, it's, it's nuts. You could do something so overt and so knowing and then still be found not guilty. It's a huge, huge problem. Gina has channeled her pain into efforts to change the same laws that allowed Jared to evade true responsibility for what he had done to Gennaro. Here's Gina discussing what she and the DA accomplished together. So when she's referring to Richard here, that's who she's talking about. Oklahoma did not have it where you could be found guilty and insane. There are some states that have completely abolished the not guilty by reason of insanity, period. And so Richard asked me, you know, if 
I would work with him on getting the law changed. And I said yes, definitely that I would do that because that's what I wanted done. And he goes, well, now you do understand that it can't be grandfathered, that this will not pertain to Jared Murray at all. I said, I'm aware of that. I was like, but I said, if we can stop one other family from having to go through what I'm having to go through, then this is what needs to be done. I said, the law needs to be changed. And they succeeded. The law did change as a result of their efforts. The bill was amended. Gina explains. In order to protect other people, their constitutional rights, they phrased it to where anybody else that would be found with a mental defect or an antisocial personality disorder, like bipolar or schizophrenia, that they would get the treatment that they need and then go to whatever facility that the courts say that they need to go to. So Jared, with his antisocial personality disorder, or being a psychopath, because that's what he is, somebody like him, there is no cure for. Pills will not take care of it. I mean, this is just, he's an abomination. And people like him will stay in prison. And so they can't use insanity as a a reason to get out of their charges. There's always the possibility that Jared could be released. And that's something that weighs on Gina, which is why she's committed to keeping her son's name and story alive each and every day. There's always a chance that he can get out because he was not convicted of a crime. Because he was, you know, he was found not guilty by reason of insanity. Every year, his health care workers are supposed to submit a report to the courts talking about what progress, if any, or breakthroughs, if any, that he has made. He could get out at any time. Nothing is set in stone with him. Gina has already changed the law. But she's not done advocating for change that will keep the public safe from people like Jared Murray. It helped me to prove to the Jared Murrays of the world and to their families that my son's life had meaning and his death had this meaning, that he did not die in vain. This time of year is always hard for me because, you know, obviously... The, the anniversary of it is, is coming up. It doesn't matter whether I talk about it or not. It's always there. For your adult listeners that have children, you know, it doesn't matter to me how old they are. They need to be aware that if their spidey senses tell them, hey, that there's something off with somebody, just because you know somebody does not mean that you really know them. That you can go to school with somebody and them turn out to be a murderer, a rapist, a thief. You do not always have to be somebody's friend just because they're the underdog. If you feel like there's something wrong with them, listen. Listen to that. Because that is your subconscious telling you, hey, you know, stay safe, stay away. Next Monday on December 6th is the 19-year anniversary of Gennaro's death. This time of year is extremely difficult for Gina, as you can probably all understand. So we want to send her some extra love and truly convey how much we admire her strength, 
appreciate her tenacity, and we feel very honored that she chose to share Janera's story with us. Well, a huge thank you to Gina for being our first degree this week. If you're out there and you have a story to tell, you can email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group. We are talking true crime all the time and come back tomorrow because we'll have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feed. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. Keep your friends close. But not that close. Happy Rosa Parks Day, everyone. Happy Rosa Parks Day. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, and sources for this episode include The Ada News, The Oklahoman, The McAllister News, News 9, and News Star. But as always, our First Degree guest is always our largest source. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.